WBNE. Howdy, Yokes. Before we get started today, we just want to let you know that this episode of Bacon and Eggs is brought to you by our patrons. You see, we want to build this thing to be as big as it can be. We want to do more episodes, more podcasts, more WBNE, more merchandise, more of the whole thing. And we can't do that without your help. So if you like this episode and you want more Bacon and Eggs, uh, like how we're on video right now, then you can go to patreon.com slash bacon and eggs and check out all the great reward tiers we have there. Uh, we're due for like a revamp on our Patreon. So if you're like, man, I wish they had a perk that that provided us with X, let us know. Let us know. Uh, because we're, I think we're going to change some things, not everything. Uh, but check out all the great tiers. You can check out our $10 tier, which gets you access to like the wildest conversation we just had. I'm like super concerned for all of you. I, I mean, it was, it was a brand new experience for me. Uh, but you get unedited episodes of Bacon and Eggs as well. So you get all that good stuff. Uh, and you can hear all the behind the scenes moments that go into making the podcast. And you get to see me like, look at the script, look at you, look at the script, look at you. But I think everybody gets that. Uh, and we could really use your help to make this the best that it can be. Uh, so thank you so much for donating. And thank you even more for listening. Howdy, Yokes, and welcome back to Bacon and Eggs. I'm Tyler Carlin. And I'm Ethan Etchill. And today we're driving Miss Daisy. Or maybe we're just going for a swim in our pool. So watchfully look over the city with the eyes of TJ Eckelberg. And long after the green dot. Because today we're bringing you The Great Gatsby. Ethan, The Great Tyler. Gatsby, was directed by Baz Luhrmann. This is the 2013 film, although I think we're going to talk about the Screw Fot Scott Fitzgerald book as well. I got the stats. Do you really? Yeah. On a, what on is a, that? It's a movie slate. Movie slate? That's yeah. cool. Are you going to read them? No, you are. Oh, I am. Okay. I'm just, uh, sorry, the, the, the camera's mirrored, so I'm having trouble putting that in there, but I got, uh, got the stats It came out stuff. on May 10th, 2013, which is 2,850 days ago, $105 million budget, made $335.36 million worldwide, got a 48% critic rating and a 67% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 55 on Metacritic. Yikes! I did not and know it was oh. rated. I did not know it was rated so poorly. Ethan, do you remember when we saw this movie, we went to Fraternity Chapter that day. It was the end of the year. Must have been. Yeah. And we were like, Leonardo DiCaprio is finally going to get his Oscar. DiCaprio. He's finally going to get his Oscar. This is so exciting. It was such a good movie. And our friend Joe Kissaday, who's a fraternity brother of ours, was like, oh, yeah, for The Wolf of Wall Street, which he's doing later this year. And we looked at, I shut him down harder than I've ever shut ever. anyone down in ever. my entire life. I'm like physically upset. I was like, no, Joe. Actually, for his portrayal of Gatsby in the Great Gatsby. Little did we know Joe was correct. No, Joe was also no, not, he, Joe was no, not he correct. Didn't, he didn't get it for Wolf of Wall Street. It was The Revenant. Uh, yeah, like five years later. Yeah. No, not five years later. <laughs> it's not 2018, was it? It was 17, I believe. 15, two years later. Okay, so the Oscars were in 16. And the Oscars were in 14. I Yeah, I was certain that this was like... When we left the theater, I was like, we just witnessed something truly fantastic. Yeah, I've decided that, that when people ask me the question, what is your favorite bad movie? That this is my answer from now on. This is it. Because apparently everybody loves or everybody hates this movie that I adore. I, yeah, I absolutely adore it. Uh, we also both read The Great Gatsby since we decided to watch this movie. Yeah, like about a week ago. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that could be a hundred years in terms of reading for me, but... Uh, oh, I was just making I, the Bobby Schmurter reference. Oh, uh, about a week ago. Because he's out of jail. Bobby Schmurter free. So's Gatsby. No, Gatsby's not, dead. He's dead, but he's not in jail. Okay. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, not to get too deep into a commentary of the prison system in America, but most people are not in jail. <laughs> like we can make uh, arguments all day long about who should and should not be in jail, but but the fact of remains is most people, <laughs> most people are, are not, not in jail. jail. <laughs> uh, so The Great Gatsby, we read it. I was surprised how much, like, the whole movie is a therapist talking to to Nick mm-hmm. and being like, just write a novel about how you're feeling. And so he does. And I was surprised how few of the things Nick says are not lifted from the text. How few of the things are not. Yeah, like, he has all these, like, beautiful glowing s- sentiments. And most of them are, like, fabricated for the film. I don't think they are. And I certainly missed a lot of details in the book, but, and I very well could have. We listen to books very fast here at Bacon and Eggs. Yeah, I have listened to 27 <laughs> books in, uh, in, in, in. In, in 2021 in days <laughs> in 2021 um i will finish the 28th today i will finish probably my 21st uh, maybe hang on i want to i want to see how many books i have read since i read the great gatsby i believe it's about 10 yeah it's not none it's not none, none yeah. 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 yeah exactly 10 yeah so so i wanted to i actually considered rereading it but i thought about that this morning at 8am and it's currently 10am so I could have I mean I could have made a you pretty good dent. You could have gotten dent. a pretty big dent in it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I wouldn't quite have finished it. Okay, so so let's talk about what the professionals have to say about this movie real quick. Yeah. So they don't like it. Do you have a negative review for me? I got a negative review here from Jason Bailey of Flavorwire who says it's a headache-inducing mishmash of waving curtains, hyperactive fades, aggressive zooms, and Baz basically just throwing things at the lens. Confetti, champagne, fabric, Toby Maguire. <laughs> That's where the sentence ends. Uh, I've got one from Deborah Ross here. It says, this is fantastically enjoyable and a blast. It is wild and rampant and thrilling. It's the best film I've seen since the last best film I saw, whatever and whenever that was. Deborah Ross writes like, like me watching movies where like most film critics are at like the 300 to 350 a year mark. Yeah, I do. I do probably if we do 52 on this show, I do maybe 60 movies. A yeah, year. <laughs> um, we're in this season. We're in the Ethan watches movies that he doesn't watch for the show season because it's award season. Uh-huh. Um, so this is not the best movie I saw since the last best movie I saw. The last best movie I saw is still the best movie I saw recently. Which is what? The Trial of Chicago 7, Aaron Sorkin. Oh, that sounds good. I should yeah, watch that. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne, a bunch of other good people. Mine's um, probably Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That movie was sweet. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, no, Trial of Chicago 7 is probably the best movie I've seen since Parasite. Dang. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. The cold open, I talked about this last week, so the people who were here last week, but you weren't, are like, you talked about this last week, but the cold open in that movie, the first, like, five minutes of that movie are, are some of the best thing I've seen in a long time. See, I'm, I'm just waiting for the day where I go into, like, a really highfalutin movie, and the cold open ends, and somebody has just passed out inexplicably, and now this movie is an episode of House. Yeah. Like early season two, Cameron Chase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the, the the Golden Crew. Right. Yeah. Oh. Omar Epps. Omar. Epps. <laughs> Will, early enough that it's the original cast, but late enough that Wilson is a regular recurring character. Oh, Robert Sean Leonard, what a guy. Anyway, um, we got the listener reviews here. I've got one from Chloe who says, oh my God, I literally don't know how to feel about this movie. I think I like it, but then the movie does something weird. Music choice to name one thing. And I no longer know. I need to figure out a score. Oof. oof. So that's a that's a oof out of 100. Um, oof out of 100. Uh, I've got a uh, review from Claire who says 87 out of 100. The soundtrack saves this film. 
Um, I mean, I wouldn't disagree, but yeah, it's the not, Jay Z thing and Lana Del Rey. That's that's that, that was the right move. Yeah, when they roll into the city playing No Church in the Wild. Yeah, that's like what? When they come to Gassy's first party and they're playing that you know Fergie song, little party never killed nobody song. It rips. It rips. Here's the thing: but is I think here I'm, we are t- almost gonna, ten years. Hold on, I'm going to interrupt you real quick. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. To, to 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 disagree with Claire on one factor. Yes, the movie was made better by the soundtrack, but it didn't need saving. Okay, like the film did not need saving. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's a big part that I disagree with a lot of these professional reviews and a lot of a lot of the professional reviews and a lot of the critic reviews and a lot of the listener reviews are all about uh justifying why they liked the movie despite the fact that it was bad except for deborah ross which it it, it, i don't think i genuinely don't think it's bad i don't either like 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 i a lot i I read a lot of things that were like oh the editing was so bad i wasn't no the the editing was this movie has suffered more from objective opinions about creative choices than any other movie in the last decade where they make a lot of like screwball off off color tradition they break the rules a lot right the the, the, right. the air quote rules a lot especially the rules set for a movie movie that costs more than 100 million dollars right right uh, which 105 million dollars is about half of what i would have thought it cost to make this movie yeah probably about half yeah yeah i was surprised um, at how inexpensive it was but this this movie, yeah, I think Baz Luhrmann took a lot of risks, made a lot of questionable choices, and I think they all came up positive. Everybody else seems to disagree. Zero out of 100, zero out of 100 I give this an 85. I would go an 80. Okay. Glad we're on the same page there. Like, it's not, I mean, I'm not crazy, right? It's not the greatest movie ever made. It's not, it's not my favorite movie ever made. But it's I a think, movie I have never not liked watching. So, this movie, like, The Great Gatsby is required reading for every American, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Is, like, if we were to have The Great American Bible, it would include The Great Gatsby. Sure, yeah. Uh, and I think what's important about that is this film does a good enough job giving me the story in a way that's digestible, because the reason, I have no idea why we have 16-year-olds read this book. Who on, what 16-year-old could possibly relate to these adult issues the only nick is turning 30 <laughs> the only book we ever read in high school that i think a 16 year old should have actually read is a separate piece a separate i was gonna say a separate piece <laughs> a separate piece or uh lord of the flies lord of the flies yeah we read a separate piece and then we watched dead poet society yeah and i thought that was like a perfect now, marriage i'm not saying that like 16 year olds have to read books only about 16 year olds right but i don't think that i don't think 16 year olds will grasp anything in the great gatsby anything about the great gatsby yeah like the longing for a woman you lost five years ago when you were 11 when you were 11 right i understand there's high emotions and you feel a lot of things you will not feel like you will feel differently than Gatsby. you may feel harder and fall harder because hormones are insane when you're that age but you will not experience the world the way Gatsby does at 16 you can't possibly have become a millionaire on like well and here's the thing five years isn't long enough for Gatsby to feel that way let alone a 16 year old (laughs) if he was like i was a old sport i was a junior officer in the in the united states army i was 18 years old fresh out of college or fresh out of high school fresh i you know i skipped college to join the army old sport right and i met this wonderful woman named daisy Fay in louisville in louisville and he's like i was 18 years old it has now been 15 years i'm 31 or however 13 years 31 years old and now now i'm in love with her old sport but he's like no nope, it was five years ago i was 26 yeah <laughs> oh so you were dumb like <laughs> Uh, right, yeah. Then like, he at, is dumb. At, at 26, at 26, you should be able to realize that Daisy Faye Buchanan is bad news. She is bad she news. She is bad. She's the worst. 
She's the, the so I I watched uh, John Green's Crash Course uh, English Literature yeah. on Gatsby. That's what I was doing right before we started, and I love his perspective that like Daisy's not like a lot of people will go into this and be like, oh, Gatsby and Tom are both unlikable. All five of them are unlikable. The only one you could possibly relate to. I, well, I relate. I guess the point is that you relate to all of them, but the one that I think is easiest to relate to is Nick, and then he's like, I was told not to judge people, and then he judges everyone constantly. The only person you can relate to in this is Jordan Baker. <laughs> Jordan Baker? No, I think Jordan Baker is the person who's in this that you're like, I'm like Jordan, because she doesn't suck as bad as the rest of them. Right, and, and uh, I hear the complaint a lot that a lot of men will read this book and blame everything on Daisy, and that's not true, okay? Like, no. Daisy just exists. <laughs> Tom is Tom is an abusive cheater, right? Like we're not glossing that. That is not Daisy's fault. And the book clearly right. states that that is not Daisy's fault. That she has right. done her best to do nothing but love Tom Buchanan for the five years that they've been married. Right. They have a child together whom they don't love, but whatever. Whom they don't talk about. They don't talk about or two. <laughs> like the child's not even in the film. I don't think. Well, they mentioned she, she. She has the, the line that like I wanted to become a fool. The child is there at the end <laughs> when Tom and Daisy are leaving. Oh, you're right. And I think there's one other point where she walks in when they're doing the curtain thing. Yeah, that was a. I, that was one of those things where I was like, I don't know how I would have shot this, but based on what the text says, this is exactly what I would have done. So I, uh, yeah, that was the crazy thing. Is <laughs> I remember. So I watched. I read the book in. Uh, this would have been Matheson. So, oh nine. That's great. Yeah. Oh nine. Um, he did a good job teaching it. Yeah, he did, but I didn't get it. No, I remember reading the book, and uh, I had the same issue with Catcher. Where, well, hey, I, I want to I want to finish the point I was sure. making, and then come back to, yeah, to yeah. literature. Um, I remember reading the book in two thousand nine, and then seeing this in college five years later or four years later or whatever, and being like, "It has a lot of questionable choices in this movie." Like, this is a weird way to describe this. And I read it last week and watched it this week, and I was like. Nope, nailed it to the wall. Absolutely. Yeah. He, yeah, for some reason, F. Scott Fitzgerald was insistent on talking about those dang curtains. Yeah, and, well, and I'm, I mean, yeah, I, I loved that shot and the way that that was done, that it was like... Same, and then, but it definitely, when I first saw the movie, was just like, okay, this is just the look, right? But then then you read the book again, and you're like, okay, every single scene is, is absolutely prescribed by the book. Right, and I, I do think it's interesting how, like, e this is my other complaint about the way people critique this film, is that everybody is critiquing the adaptation and not the story itself, which I think the story scores this movie 75 of its 80 points. Like, right, I but, it also, but not... it also loses it every 25 of them. <laughs> Like, the story is great, it is not perfect, and it does not hold up, particularly. No, because uh, this is one film choice that Baz Luhrmann, I think, uh, did really well, was choosing to include the curtains thing, is that, like, Nick and Daisy and Jordan are in the room, and when it's just them, like, the American dream really comes to fruition. They are right. genuinely free. The curtains are flowing. Like, there's this air of freedom, and then as soon as Tom walks in... He shuts the freedom windows. Is, yeah, yeah, and freedom is gone. And I think, visually, that's such a valuable way to tell the story. And it, I think it's easy to miss, because the film and the book is so man-centric. Yeah. That, like, while men lost, you know, slaves and lost their freedom or are fighting for their freedom and don't know exactly how to do that. This is like a, a rare time in history where with some alone time in this context, women can be free. Of course, then Daisy makes the comment that like, I want my daughter to be a fool. That's the best thing you can be. Right. Which is obviously not the best thing you can be. Well, and like both book, I mean, movies, not progressive, but the, the book for 1932 or whenever this was published is weirdly progressive in that like... Tom hates black people and Jews and everybody's just kind of like, hey, dude, you can't say that, my guy. Like, you can't right. just you can't just, you can't like, just say these black things. People. <laughs> 
Right, like you can't you can't go off on the rise of black people in America like free of charge, right? You can't you, nobody nobody lets him do that. I mean, they do well, let him I do think, that because they're all scared of him. But well, and, and watching this in 2021, it's very much easier to think of uh, Tom Buchanan as the villain. Like I think in 2021, people have a bigger issue with Tom Buchanan being an, like an overt racist than they do with him having a mistress. Truthfully, right? Because I think that if you don't if you don't read the book and know where that comes from, and if you're not not paying exact attention to the movie, like you could be seen to think that he gets away with that with this his overt racism and and sexism and hatred for basically everybody that isn't right. him. Uh, which and he I, does I, not. What I, what I love about the, the characters in the book is that they, they're not even like, you can't say that or you can't do that. They just don't give him the time of day. You know, he's sitting here like, we Nordics, we are the founders and blah, 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 blah. And Daisy is talking to Jordan and, and Nick and yeah, is like- just ignore him. Right. And they're like, oh, he always gets on that. He loves to read these highfalutin books. It's like, oh, we're just going to ignore that. Okay, cool. <laughs> right. So on the subject of highfalutin books, um, when I read The Great Gatsby, because we read it for school, right? And so it was one of those things where like yeah. you break it down over, I don't know, eight weeks weeks or something crazy no this is a one afternoon read yeah this is a short book um so i don't really think i got anything out of the great gatsby when i was 15 here's my issue with the way they teach great gatsby is they focus a lot on tj eckelberg and the glasses yeah and i think you can i honestly think you can take it out of the book entirely yeah, I could see that. Like, I get it. I understand that it's like, these are the watchful eyes of God. They are judging all of you because you're all wrong. It's just, you just well, they watch. So they watch the crime get committed. Yeah. That no matter what, Daisy gets away with the crime, but she's not going to get away with it. Right? Like, Jay, right. Jay Gatsby dies for the crime that Daisy commits. But, but God and then knows. Daisy, now, correct me on the ending, in the novel, does she call him or no? I don't think so. Yeah, no, I don't think so. See, that was a change that I thought helped. Somebody said the ending in the in the film was was not great. I thought the ending of the film was fantastic. Uh, but like, if she calls him, then it's like, oh, she lost everything as well in all of this. But she didn't. She didn't lose anything. Right. Because she doesn't they, love. She is with the men she is with because of convenience and other reasons. Proximity. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely got more out of reading The Great Gatsby a week ago than I did like when I was 18 or 16 or whatever. But I've also been reading a bunch of books, like rereading a bunch of books that I read, went like some of the Vonnegut books. And as a as a 27 year old, I was getting almost nothing out of them other than like, hey, this is cool language, which I guess all I cared about when I was uh, when I was 16 was like reading a book that sounded smart and then not talking to anybody yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, I, and so today I'm just like, hey, this is a cool story, but like, whatever. <laughs> a little pretentious, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> How many books we've been reading a lot? How many have I, I've gone through this transition myself? I want to know if you felt something similar prior to like active, constant reading. I felt like if I read a book that had a fantastic story, I almost didn't want to share it with anyone. Because my fear was like, either they will tell me why this is obviously bad, or it's just kind of like my own secret thing. It is my light at the end of the dock, you know? That feeling has almost entirely gone. Where if I finish a book and I was like, this is making me feel and think so many things, I want to share it immediately. I will like order copies of the book to people's houses so that they have to read it I and will talk share, because I've, I've done this for a while. Like I have told literally everybody in my life to read Good Omens and American Gods. I've read Good Omens. Yeah, I like badgered you about that one for sure. Cause I was like, this book is, it's phenomenal. Like you have to, that's required reading. I mean, Good Omens isn't in the America Bible, but yeah, it's required. No, but reading. it's required reading. <laughs> yeah. But I would say I, I will do that for, prior to the reading challenge, I would do that for a six star book, right? Like a book that truly like wowed me mm -hmm. or a book that fit the audience that I was talking to. Yeah. So like, I definitely would like, I, I shilled hard for Ready Player Two because, you know, we have a lot of people that listen to the show that interact with the show that are like loved the first book book. We're kind of cold in the movie. 
and didn't expect the second book to be anything, really. Uh, right. And then the second book was fantastic in ways that didn't seem possible right. ever, like that never seemed possible. Um. So I definitely shield for that one more than I would have, because I don't think that Ready Player Two, like, I kind of already forgot what happens in it, right? Like, I remember stuff, but like, it is, it happened, I read it in November, and I've read 27 books since then. <laughs> Right. That I, I do lose books. That's uh I've I've understood the value of rereading so much. Yeah. I love to reread books. Like that's been hard for me during this reading challenge that we're doing like the the push is to try to read new books and like every book I read it just makes me want to read a book that I've already read. Yes. Like it'll remind me of something and I'll be like, "Oh man, I want to really want to read The Da Vinci Code. I really want to read, you know, uh, uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I don't know. I haven't read that, but what are right. books I've read? I can't remember any of them now. <laughs> Harry Potter Harry and, the, Potter Sorcerer's and the Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> <laughs> I've read that. I, I really want to read Quidditch Through the Ages right now. <laughs> it's 11 pages long. Um, no, I feel you. And and I think if we were to do this again, I, I think it's important, at least for me, and uh, you know, the rest of you probably more well read, uh, but it's very important for me to like, I have a lot of books on my shelf. I need to find a way to actually read all of right. them. And then I like collecting books. I need to find a way to like buy a book and read it. Yeah, those are those are two hobbies no, that so I need to marry. I don't, I don't have a problem with the the reading goal as a whole. It is the feeling that like because so by the end of the year you have to hit seventy five percent new to you, right? Right. And it is the feeling that I have that I cannot let the average drop below seventy five at any point, or I will be disqualified. Right. Right. So like. My brain you is certainly like, can. Yeah, <laughs> I certainly can. My brain is like, oh man, if you want to read Aragon, you really got to put the work in, my dude. Yeah, and like you that's not that's not books, true, right? Yeah, you like. Can read it. <laughs> You have to read four of the books and then read Aragon. I thought you really thought you were about to crack open a high life, and I was like, okay, Mister. I, this is a this is a sidebar review. How's that this cheer wine going? That's oh, bacon and eggs brought to you by cheer wine. No, it's not. No, it's not. It ain't. <laughs> it just ain't. Use use promo code bacon at checkout to get cheer wine for exactly the same price. It's the best book you read this year so far. Catching the rye. Not even close. Fair. Uh, but if it was close, if I was to pick something that was like not a classic, it probably would be Dreadnought. I loved that book. It was pretty good. I, I mean, I, I, I think it's because I went into it with honestly expecting it to be bad and then being like, oh, wow, this is well written and very good. I didn't know anything about it, but it was in the free catalog and it's so hit or miss that I was like, well, yeah. this is a young adult and I, I don't know that I'm going to love this. It was amazing. It was very good. But yeah, Catcher in the Rye by a mile. I think about it every minute of every day. That's my big complaint about rereads is that I would read it 365 times this year. <sighs> It's the same deal with books, and that's what I've realized, honestly, with, with this challenge. It's the same deal with books it is with movies, right? It's like, if you watch Turner Classic movies, you know, you're only going to see good movies because they're pulling from 60 years worth of movies. And they're going to pick the very they're best. They're going to pick the very best movies from those 65 years worth of right. movies, right? Um, <clears throat> right. When when Turner Classic pulls in 2007, they won't watch Transformers. No. <laughs> no, they won't. <laughs> They're just not going to show it. No, they it. won't. Yeah, they just won't show it, right? They'll show, <laughs> I don't know what came out in 2007. Um, Me neither. Uh, previews two, for Avatar. 2000, 2008 Oscars. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 2008 Oscars. No Country for Old Men. They're going to show picture. no country for show old no men. No Country for Old Men and Atonement and Juno, and there will be blood. Yeah, that's absolutely what they're going to do. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, they're just not going to show Transformers. But it's the same with books. It's like if a book was written before you were born and you have heard of it. It's good. It's worth reading. 
right? Yeah. But it, it may not be good. It may not be appropriate. It may not be progressive, but it's worth reading. Worth reading. It also gives you a window into like what wasn't progressive at this time. <laughs> well, and that's such a hard, uh, in, in, in cancel culture and stuff, especially that's such a hard argument to make, right? It's like, why would you read a book about times when people were racist and got because. away with it? And it's like, you, cause you have to like, you have to know. And, and, and you know what? You, you don't have to, like, if you don't want to do that, don't. If that makes you, if that upsets you and makes you sad, don't read it. Like, well, but like, just just know that when I say you have to read X book, you you don't. I'm not your dad or your teacher. I'm a white dude on the internet talking about books <laughs> I like. And I liked The Great Gatsby. And I liked The Great Gatsby and Good Omens, a book about a comedy book about the apocalypse. Yeah. When I say you have to read it, I mean it. You have to read it. No, I'm kidding. You don't have to read anything. I right, but I, if, you, I would, if you get 85 pages into Catching the Ride, you're like, I hate this book. Throw it away, man. Like, who cares? That's you're yeah. allowed to like. You're allowed to hate that one. You're allowed to you hate the Great Gatsby. You allowed, should hate Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> yeah, you should. Holy Caulfield is not that's, somebody that's, you should aspire to be. <laughs> well, and so that's the thing is like we're starting to come around to that on like shows like Friends, right? Where it was revered for so long as the greatest piece of television that ever existed, and like all these characters incredible. And now in 2021, everybody's rewatching Friends. Like these people suck. And they're kind of homophobic. They're kind of homophobic and gross, and also just mean to each other, and also misogynistic and also just gross and yeah. like jo- they and everybody's like oh joey says gross stuff but like everybody says gross stuff <laughs> like everybody's mean to somebody and there's no black people in it none none well, i think ross dates a black paleontologist for a while but yeah right but like joey uh the the argument there is you cannot bring a diversity in through love interests that is a bad way to do it because well, that's inherently like a like a, a fetishist mentality of like Ross huh. dates a black girl because of XYZ. And at the end of the day, you can never dissociate from the conversation of Ross dates a black girl because she's black. I think it'd be weird if none of the love interests in the show were black. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and I think you're coming more and more around to that. Um, it's also weird these days when none of the love interests are gay, right? Right. Where when 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 like well, out of Neil Patrick when, Harris played a straight man when you when <laughs> yeah when you have six people on on a TV show and none of them are even bisexual like and it never comes up and it never comes up yeah <clears throat> but it's not that you can't have Ross date a black woman it's that you can't have the only black woman on the show be a be girl that Ross, Ross brings in and dumps and this is the same right. argument with uh with, that people make about Ted Mosby is like you know you bring in X Y Z for Ted to then throw away right you exhibit these characters that women see themselves on screen and then Ted's just like dude. <laughs> Ted doesn't date any black women, if I recall correctly. No, yeah, no, that show's not free from... That show is about, uh, I don't know, a, a three years from, from its reckoning, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, you're supposed to hate Holden Caulfield, right? Like, Holden Caulfield is the worst. Yeah. The absolute He's, worst. He is the... the when I, what actually hooked me on reading the book, because I had no idea what it was about, um, was I opened his Wikipedia article, and it was like, Holden Caulfield is the true American representation of teenage angst. And I was like, ah, maybe I do want to read this. Because the book's not about... Awesome anything it's not it doesn't no. there's no story there's no conflict there's no conflict there's no story there's no there's no yeah there's no beginning middle and end right there is just it's just middle right it's one it's, just it's one like 20 or 36 hour span in holding caulfield's life where he is miserable yeah and he is he is depressed and alone and refuses to admit it refuses to seek help and well he seeks help and nobody will give him the time of day the only adult who listens to him abuses him yeah in the entire novel he asks the cab driver while the ducks fly away and they won't talk to- read 
Catcher in the Rye. Everybody read Catcher in the Rye. I want to talk to you about it. So just if you're if you're if your argument is that it is racist or misogynistic or homophobic, yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. Those are real problems that we face from white people in America today. To to this day. Yeah. And Catcher in the Rye gets accused of being a glorification of that, and it just isn't. No, I think people who read Catcher in the Rye and and, and identify with Holden should be locked in prison. Right. And I think like I think it is hard not to relate to him. And there's a certain level of teenage angst that like well, you feel in relation to him. And there's a certain level of like, I would love to protect the innocent that I think is important. But but if you come away from it thinking, yeah, man, that Holden Caulfield guy has got something figured out. Right. It's like, wrong. Well, wrong. <laughs> tub. <laughs> tub. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, absolutely not. And it's the same deal with uh, with The Great Gatsby. It's like, if you come away from this thinking that that that, that Jay Gatsby any of was- them were right. That any of them were right. Uh, I, I, you're supposed to relate to Nick, and Nick is okay, right? Like, Nick aids and abets this adultery, sure, but he also is just completely swept up in the whole thing. This in, is my theory. In a situation I, that he could never handle, that he was not right. built to handle. I think what makes The Great Gatsby so great, and the film does a really good job It's of right this. there One. in the title, though. Like, what makes it great is the word great. Like, <laughs> you can just say that, right? It can just be- Right. Uh, first off, I think Tobey Maguire's portrayal here is- fantastic but a lot of people talk about the great gatsby and they talk about the american dream and how uh gatsby achieved it tom achieved it uh tom didn't achieve it though tom had it handed to him so did gatsby gatsby at least works no he's a front he does something though yeah he answers calls from detroit and chicago he's he's a front in the 20s okay everything was a front there's prohibition but I think the American dream here and what doesn't get talked about enough is how like Nick is like the world's greatest gossip columnist. Like he writes this amazing gossip story yeah. about Jay Gatsby and and uh oh my god, Tom Buchanan and Daisy Buchanan and Jason Clark's character, George Wilson. Like But that's why they all open American up to him, right? It's because he doesn't tell their stories. But he does. At the end, yeah, after they've already yeah. they've all destroyed his life. Yeah. <laughs> and he's screwed. In the film, I like the idea that he's in like an asylum. An asylum I think yeah. That's, yeah he I broke. think that's good. Yeah. Um, he could never be. I, I don't know what I imagined came next for Nick, but I, that it was not that. Yeah, no, not at all. Because because Nick says the thing at the end, like I was all he had, and like yeah, buddy, he was all you had too. Yeah, he was your Ooh, only what friend. What a great mirror ever. Yeah, you in the novel, him and Jordan have more of a relationship, which is something I they have I a do romantic feel was relationship. Yeah, um, and, and and he makes it very clear in the novel that he's like a lot of stuff happened between all these Gatsby parties, but I'll I'll save you, I'll spare you the trouble, right? And uh, you know, him and Jordan have that romantic relationship, and the film portrays Nick as like relatively poor. Yeah. You don't get to live on West Egg and be poor. Well, I mean, he. I think he he lives in like like the gardener's house next to Gatsby's house. Okay, George Wilson lives in like the ashes of death. No, sure, yeah, no, <laughs> that's poor. That's the thing is, but but he is the Nick is the the least wealthy citizen of West Egg. Yes, but everybody at West Egg and East Egg is still well. Let's like going to a, like a billionaire's party and being like, oh, you've only got you're rounding up to a billion. I don't know, man. That's not something. Yeah, but he's going to a billionaire's party and rounding up to a hundred k, right? Like. Nick doesn't have money in the bank at all. He doesn't own a car. His, he does well, own a car in the book, but... And his family's fortune comes from, like, his father... His grandfather paid off somebody to fight in the Civil War or something. Right, but he works for, for Chase Bank. <laughs> J.P. Morgan. Yeah. Well, at this point, he still worked directly for Walter Chase. Oh, you're right. Uh, but I still think Nick is, is more wealthy than we give him credit for. And I think that the film plays down his wealth. Like, the gardener's house in the film is, like, 80 square feet. And I think it was probably pretty freaking nice. I picture that, the, the, the pool boy house in Fresh Prince. You remember that? No. Oh. I don't That's know where, the uh, show. Will and Carlton lived for a while. It was pretty big. Um, yeah, like, Nick still has no place in, in the Valley of Ashes. No. Well, I mean, he's a Manhattan banker. 
Like, right. he could just live in, you know, White Plains, like Don Draper, take the train in and be cool, like, right. and never have met any of these people. He decides to live on the beach on Long Island in the, like, the nice part of the beach in Long Island. One thing I think the film does well, and this is what we were talking about before, is it, it gives you an image. It gives you the story in a pretty clear way. Something a lot of classic writers will do is they do a really good job of, or maybe a really bad job, I don't know, but it's just like the way that they wrote in the past. They do a really good job of like, giving you lines of dialogue that are not necessarily like poignant. They're not like, I say this to you. And I, I'm trying to think of an example, but it'd be like, and then Daisy said, you know, oh, something. And it's like, it's just an exasperation. It's not to anyone. It's it's sort of to the side. It's sort of just revealing something about her character. And I think when you're reading that as a 16 year old who's only ever read Harry Potter, it's very hard to understand. But when you watch the film, it's like, oh, now I can kind of see, you know, the Vahi raves of this, the 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 sort of sideline. Uh, yeah. You know, and I, I, that's one of the things well, I absolutely love this about is... the, the film. And the film allows you to picture the story really well but I, I still think it leaves you open to picturing the characters and picturing the sets however you were going to picture them in your mind i would agree up to the point of i can no longer picture tom buhannon as not, i was gonna say the same thing tom buhannon not is joel edgerton, edgerton. yeah is joel yeah 110 percent 100 yeah 100 percent. it didn't help that like the narrator in the audiobook that we listened to did the exact same voice yeah um for but sure. Gatsby does not look like Leo and Nick, in my mind, is younger. Tobey Maguire always looks Tobey Maguire in this movie looks like he's, yeah, like 37 years old and, and beat to hell. Yeah. And so I always picture Nick as a, as a little bit younger, a little bit more, who's selling papes? He know? never looked like, never looked like a high schooler in Spider-Man. Not once, not for five no. seconds. <laughs> no. He looked like a high schooler in some of his earlier movies, but not in Spider-Man. Uh, Jeremy Jordan would probably make a pretty good Nick Carraway. I don't know what Jeremy Jordan looks like. I hear this name a lot. I don't know who that is. He's the guy that sells papes. Ha ha ha. No, he was uh, he was the original uh, Newsies Broadway cast. I jo Jeremy Jordan looks like Taylor Lautner, but older, young, or older, or I think he looks like Taylor Lautner in some pictures, some stuff. But I don't know. He's just a guy. Uh, he was in the movie of the last five years, which you should watch. It was really good. Anna Kendrick. I like Anna Kendrick. I like Carrie Mulligan. Uh, I, she's Daisy pretty well in my brain, pretty cemented. I don't think I know it. I don't think I ever pictured Daisy. Like, if that makes I'll sense, it's like in the scenes where they talk about, and it's just, I think the way they talk about and over and around Daisy to the point where she constantly has to like interrupt to get a word in edgewise that like, mm -hmm. in my mind, in the scenes, uh, she's not there. Like, that's how Gatsby and <laughs> and uh, Tom feel as well. <laughs> yeah. Gatsby and Tom fighting each other over her and like Gatsby and Nick talking to each other about her. Like, she's not there. Right. Uh, I did not picture Isla Fisher as Myrtle. I think she did well. I would have wanted more of that story. Um, I this is you I don't, don't know why you don't get a lot of Myrtle content in the book either. No, you don't. I always pictured Myrtle being black. Okay. I know that she's not. I know that she's not described that way. But that is always I've always thought that that like added some depth to Tom's character, who like in the previous scene we saw is overtly racist, and then his mistress is a black woman. That's always how I pictured it. But I know that that's not yeah that would described be, that, that way. would be a whole nother level of a whole nother layer to the to the onion to the story right uh you know i don't i don't want to be like mr like oh they just don't write like this anymore but they, they don't. don't and i don't no. think that's a good thing well here's the thing if you wrote this novel or something like it in 2021 and sent it to the publisher i genuinely don't think it would get published no it wouldn't it, prose is very basic and blunt now yeah to the point where i mean occasionally they make it through and you get a book like that really uses all of its words never were yeah yeah uh, a lot of gaming is like that um I read a uh, I read the Goldfinch by Donna Tart movie about art theft um, or a book about art theft that uses a lot of like 
pros, proper pros. Mm-hmm. But even then, it, it it feels different. But like every word in this book is put to good use. Every word in Catcher in the Rye is put to good use. Yes. Like it is not like they're even not, to like excessive use in Catcher. Because well, that's, that's the thing is if you write The Great Gatsby in 2021, it's 700 pages long, right? Yeah. Like it is it is a lengthy book where a lot of nothing happens. Yeah. Very You get a blandly. lot of description of parties. Yeah. You get a lot of insight into... Uh, um, the relationship with Jordan, you get, it's, I think it's much more about, uh, Nick. Yeah. It's much more about the people in general and not just, you remove the drunk driving scene, which would be a crime. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, scene at the end of the party where the guy loses his tire and still yeah. tries to drive home. You spend a lot more time with Tom and Myrtle. Uh, and they develop that relationship and like she, Nick goes out with her cousin a couple times and like they have that yeah. whole thing where they, they meet over and over again. You see the dog more than once. Yeah. Um, you, you, there's, there's a, uh, a confrontation between Jordan and the cousin. Now, I don't, and I don't want to say, I don't mean this to say that there are no good books written in 2021. I don't mean to say that they, that, that nobody writes well anymore. Um, they don't write short books anymore. Sure they do. Not this short. Sure they do. Who? Oh, they write like mysteries. Well, you just, yeah, I mean, that's true. But you just read, a uh, uh, uh Being a Wallflower. Yeah, that's a fantastic novel. Eh, it's a better movie. Well, it's a better movie. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's short. Simon vs. Hope's Sapiens Agenda short. Um, John's the, books are John, short. John's John books are pretty short, yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's, so that's not to say that you cannot tell a full story in, in, um, in 241 pages, right? Like, it, it at all. Uh, but you get, it's just different. It, 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 there are plenty of good books written. I think more so the great novels of of the 2000s are written in different genres. I think the way that we interact with prose is different now too. If we were talking about Neverwhere, that's not at all like this. No. But it is, you know, there's there's a lot of books that will use language in just wildly different ways. Like if we're, if we're really doing like poetic literature, like uh, I'm listening to Neverwhere and the Welcome to Night Vale novel right now. And it's surprising to me how dumbed down Night Vale is compared to uh, Gaiman. Like, listening to them literally concurrently. Interesting. It's like, the metaphors in Night Vale are so... Like, the whole concept is like, we're going to write a metaphor and take it later, really. Right, yeah. I just... And that and that is... I think that Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner do that better than almost anybody alive right now. Yeah. Uh, but it's... Because I would say that a hallmark of Neil Gaiman's writing is, is literality. Yes. But in a completely different way than... Girl Named Door. Yeah, a girl named Dor who opens things. Yeah, like pretty straight. You you watch that episode of of uh, of Doctor Who that Neil Gaiman wrote. Which one did he do? Uh, he did the one uh, the Doctor's wife where they go. Did to the, he really? Yeah, like real highfalutin. Yeah, where like, the, with the with the girl named House or whatever the planet named House. Yeah, uh, where where the you know the TARDIS names herself sexy. Nice. Yeah, that's Neil Gaiman. <laughs> and if you watch it again, because I did very recently, you're sitting there like. <laughs> How did I ever not know? And I'm like, and then I remember that, like, that was my introduction to Neil Gaiman. Right. I knew the name. I didn't know why. Yeah, I don't know why I knew the name. He must have, like, written an episode of Rugrats or something. Uh, I don't think so. That would be <laughs> wild. Is- <laughs> Phil and Lil's new friend, Gate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Tommy's screwdriver becomes a person. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess Rugrats is based on Doctor Who, so there's there's something there. But freaking, well, Rugrats is based on Doctor Who when Doctor Who was bad. Yeah. I would also say, like, roughly based on. Yeah. Like, Tommy has screwdriver. Will travel. Yeah. Will travel. Yeah. But yeah, Neil Gaiman reading Neverwhere, or writing Neverwhere, sitting there with the London tube map, just being like, okay, some of these, some of these tube stations are going to be bad guys. 
like <laughs> um i do think so let's provide some context neverwhere is a novel uh with very literal metaphors so is welcome to night vale which is a novel with very literal metaphors pulled from uh a podcast yeah called welcome to night vale they're both good you should yeah, read them you should um yeah, I think I think Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner do the literality thing. Yeah, better. I, I would I would argue that there is never a word out of place in Welcome to Night Vale. I so so that's actually what I kind of like about Gatsby is is exactly what we were talking about is that there are words out of place. Like maybe everything means something and everything's an important line, but like everything's important to the to the reader, not yeah. to like. I, not I think to, oftentimes well, I will be super invested in every word. Like, and I think the Daisy example is important. Or is a good one. I'll be invested in every word Daisy says, but I have to remember that like Tom Buchanan is not invested in every word Daisy says. Right. I think what you lost, um, what you lost with J.K. Rowling was the unreliable narrator. You think that because Harry is the first unreliable narrator? No, I think that Harry might be the first reliable narrator. I so I I'm with you as well. I think because, Harry's a great narrator. Because well, and that's the thing is the 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 perspective the third person limited perspective is something that is so few so been used used so few times in like big capital L literature. Yeah, that it is interesting when harry potter told from a third person perspective but only knows the things that harry knows right so you get somebody that like you have somebody third person you know he him pronouns about harry filtering harry's thoughts for you right and so i truly think the unreliable narrator sort of Is died lost. in pop culture with harry potter because it be every everything became that that race to match that right and that's why i right. think neil gaiman is so interesting because his narrators are completely worthless but cecil baldwin is completely worthless or cecil yeah, palmer holding cecil caulfield palmer. is but that's what i'm saying is is is, is nick Carraway is a worthless narrator every word is important to the reader every word is important to nick very few of those words are important to the story yes but also like you could take any sentence from an episode of from a new game book, you take any sense from an episode of Welton Night Vale and, and really have something. It's the same with, with Catcher in the Grind, the, the Gry, Catcher in the Rye and the Great Gatsby and, you know, like Pride and Prejudice. Like you take a sentence, anything in Dickens, you take a sentence and it's like that is a there. You got a poem right there. Like that is a right. You could you could frame that. Right. That is a word. Any any random sentence. Right. It, it, you never use the same word twice uh, unless, unless you're, you're J.D. Salinger. And yeah, unless you're holding <laughs> Caulfield in which you use about eight words. <laughs> I Bunch called him a phonies. goddamn moron. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> I really did. <laughs> now, I didn't want to come off corny, but I was horsing around. <laughs> oh my God. And again, it's just part of the like bunch of phonies. <laughs> I think we so often undervalue the 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 you can't yeah sometimes. And I think again, this is a lot of what has to do with um with the evolution of high fantasy. Uh, with the evolution of things like Harry Potter and 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 sci-fi becoming a thing, is that like sometimes these days when you're used to reading things like that, you can't see the forest from the tree. Like you get so involved in the story that you forget to think about the book. Right. A, 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 Catcher in the Rye is is performance art almost as much as it is. Oh my God, the audio literature it's free on SoundCloud. Not not even the audiobook so much as that like Holden Caulfield's language over the course of the book. Yes. Will annoy the piss. Out of you yes you will hate him every time he says the word corny or moron or, or anything phony yeah anything he or, says you and, and you will hate holding caulfield for that it is it is an experience and this is why i think uh this is where i think that that harry potter really got it right is is in book five 
when by the end of it, you are so locked in on Harry with this feeling like nobody listens to him. Nobody hears what he has oh, to say. Yeah. And, the, and the whole book is frustrated. Like you read it and you're like frustrated by it. And so a lot of people would be like, oh, I didn't like reading Order of the Phoenix at all. It just made me uncomfortable. You know, it. it it, uh, so it's the best point. That's the point. Yeah, I think we're about. I think we're about five years out from coming back around to the office and to secondhand embarrassment as being a valid right. comedy. Oh yeah, that's where people, the point. people come all the way around because we're we're uh, we're at the the apogee of that circle right now. The other the complete other side. Right. It is it is a a an, an office eclipse at this moment where you can't. People, the sun is in the way. You can't see the office. <laughs> I think people still love The Office right now. I do too, but I think it is it has never been more highly criticized for those yeah. reasons. People like the the people still love The Office, but the oh, I cannot watch The Office crowd is really loud right now. And I think we're I, gonna come I think we're gonna come back around to that and, and we'll get far enough removed from it where you can look at Michael Scott as as like a product of the 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 nineties. Yeah. Or of the thousands of the of the office. Ma- made in the thousands, but about not about I mean obviously it's about the 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 a product of the, the, the 70s, a product of when he was born, you know? Right. Where, where I do guys think, like Michael Scott were born in 1975 and acted like X. And I do think that there is a certain uh, conversation that can always be had about, like, the American office is 20 years behind the American social life at any given time. Yeah. Like, two years ago, I got off a DOS system. A DOS system developed in the 1980s. And you know how many people I know work at other, like, American corporations that are still using it? Yeah, because MS-DOS was the greatest thing ever The greatest computer program ever ever built. built. (laughs) It's so, like... You just don't have to worry about all the data that comes from browser-based sales. Browser-based company data yeah for as as far as as far as for a cms goes there's never been anything better than than ms dos yeah oh it's so good apparently but you gotta type yes you have to type make us yes, forget make kids get, learn keyboarding again t- take away the mouse entirely is <sighs> my thing <laughs> i'm big i'm a big mouse guy i will be honest with you um i don't Do you, like in that you use a large mouse or that you are a fan of the mouse i'm a fan of the mouse i like my mouse. i have a little tiny mouse now just converted like I have, I know that I do not use, that I, when I, when I, when I go into my Adobe suite, I am, I am too mouse focused. I know there are easier ways to do the things that I am doing. Keystrokes. Keystrokes to do the things that I am doing. When you copy something, are you control C or right click copy? Um, Control C. Okay. Thank God. Yeah. No, but there's stuff like, like, and truly now that I have a, I have a Mac with the full size keyboard, I'm going to buy one of those freaking overlays that sits over top of the keyboard and tells me what all the buttons do in Adobe Premiere (laughs) because I just don't know them. And there's no like, you're like, you look up a YouTube video and you're like, what are all the commands you need to know for Adobe Premiere? And it's three hours long. Right. Because <laughs> you're like, there's there's no iMovie equivalent of Adobe Premiere. I mean, there's Premiere Rush or whatever, but that's for like TikTok videos. Right. Like the Adobe, you're using the same Adobe Premiere as, as Christopher Nolan. Like. Right. <laughs> And that, he, that you program, can do what he does. That program can do anything you want it to. <laughs> right. But you're still not Christopher Nolan. No, I'm not Christopher Nolan. I am not uh I am not a professional film editor. <laughs> so we were talking about gaming and, and saying you're not Christopher Nolan kind of brings this up. I find myself on a lot of writing forums. I don't know why okay. I don't write. Uh but a lot of times, and this is exactly what we were talking about, uh, they'll be like, how do you talk to new writers and how do you get them to write in a certain way? And they're like, you need to tell the new author that they are not Neil Gaiman. Like straight, I yeah. understand Neil Gaiman gets to write Neil Gaiman books. You don't and you won't. It's it's the it's the same deal with any art form where Neil Gaiman knows the rules back to front so that he can break them on purpose. Right. 
You don't. Neil Gaiman <laughs> is a student of the game to right. the point that you are not, right? It's like, it's like, yeah, sure, you, you don't have to use the rule of thirds when you're doing photography. But, but you have to know but it. But you have to know it, right? You have to make the right. conscious decision to be like, okay, I'm not going to use this, right? Right. To the point where it's still so uncommon to not use the rule of thirds that anytime somebody doesn't, they're like, oh, accidentally Wes Anderson. <laughs> Anytime anything is center aligned in a frame, it's so like hegemonic to use the rule of thirds that people are like, oh, you just want to be Wes Anderson. It's like, maybe I do. Maybe I think it looks cool like that. Maybe so does Wes Anderson. He might be on to something. On to something, right. <laughs> you have to know the rules to break the rules. You have and, to know the rules to break the rules. Yeah. And, and here's the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is Walter White cooking meth on his first go and getting it exactly right. Doesn't happen. Yeah, no. Doesn't happen. You, If you want to cook meth like Walter White, you have to cook meth a thousand times. You also have to have a, a, a PhD in you know molecular chemistry. Like Walter White. Like Walter White, right. He, right. he put the, he may have not have put the meth work in, he put the chemistry work in first. Right. <laughs> uh, also, Neil Gaiman is, yeah, is just the reincarnated form of Charles Dickens. Might be. I heard that uh, his birth was his death. Same day. That's no, I don't true. think it was. <laughs> There's a big, big gap there. But it's like you you listen to Neil Gaiman read his own books and you listen to Neil Gaiman read from Dickens' prompt copy of A Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. And you're like, it starts to come together in your brain that like, oh, this is just <laughs> this is just what Neil Gaiman is doing is just reading a bunch of Charles Dickens and making it sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> Like the, the 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 Venn diagram there is slowly just scooching together, right? Um, uh, yeah, but I think I think like if you're going to the editor for the first time and you submit a, a game and style book, if you wrote a book the quality of Gaiman, your editor will notice and will publish your novel, obviously. Yeah, it, that is yeah, definitely not to say it doesn't happen. But you, but, but you won't. But you won't. Yeah, like when you go to your editor, you don't be like, oh, you you give gaming books like this, but you won't give it to me because you didn't write it as well. Straight up. Yeah, you didn't write it as well because you tried to be Neil Gaiman. Now you can you can start your book trying to be Neil Gaiman if you allow yourself to just write the damn book. Right at the end of it, like if if you start at Neil Gaiman and you end somewhere else, the chances are mm -hmm. you've probably gotten a decent book. Right. That is it, it. It is it is shocking how little of it will ring to other people as Neil Gaiman. That's when I know that I'm getting into a medium like a, like a certain art form is when I listen to something or I read something for the first time or I watch something for the first time. And I can see the influences as opposed to like a lot of people watch Avatar and they're like, oh, this is just a Pocahontas or Name of the Wind, not Name of the Wind, Call of the Wild, something, whatever. <laughs> yeah, Avatar is a Name of the Wind ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not no, but like, <laughs> uh, but they'll, be, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll see that this is just like a, a ripoff. But then when you read something or you watch something and you're like, oh, I can see that this director was influenced by X. Yeah. I think that's always a really exciting moment. Like when I read Catcher and then literally the next book I read was Perks Being a Wallflower, I was like, oh man, I can, I can feel the influence here. Right, and then he it's, says the name of the book. Yeah, and you're and like, like, oh, oh there it yeah, is. There it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yeah, I knew that was coming. Yeah. Um, uh. Man, I had a point. But yeah, so they, they don't they don't write books like this anymore. Uh, not even from a prose perspective. It's like they don't write books about, you have to have more of a story than this if you write a book today. Yes. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're John Green. I don't care if you're Neil Gaiman. You have to have more of a story than this. Like, that is what so, so much of people's criticism about the classics, especially the early to mid-1900s classics is that they are all just books about white people doing nothing. Yeah. Which is very, extremely true. And that is not a bad thing. Have you read The Old Man in the Sea? 
I have not read any Hemingway. Oh my god, you will it's read it. My, you will be infuriated. Yeah, there, there's some Hemingway on my list this year. Um, if you read Old Man in the Sea, I, I guarantee it's free on Audible in probably four hours. You will be so mad at the end of those four hours. Right. I want to read some of the uh, the beat guys too, like Kerouac. Uh, Ginsburg, those guys, just see what they had to say in the 60s and 70s about, like, you know, about Vietnam, man. Oh, I don't want to know about Nam. Not even that about Nam, because, because, again, they wrote books and poems about white people doing nothing as an allegory and as a, a rip on, like, counterculture and Vietnam and all this other crap. Just like this is a, a you know, book about the the just absolute american bs that led to the stock market crash and the great depression and and then the life of excess that that destroyed america almost one thing i think is so interesting about gatsby is that uh f scott fitzgerald wrote this prior to the great depression prior to the stock market crash he didn't know that was gonna happen and reading the book is like how did he not know gatsby died like i think he did know no he didn't know i mean i don't think he knew that the stock market crash was gonna happen i think that he could see oh he could see the writing on the walls yeah you know who else could see the writing on the walls holden caulfield that book is less old than you think it is <laughs> i know yeah it's like 52 i think the great right? gatsby is older than you think it is catcher in the rye is less old than you think it is yeah you, the, the royal you. It throws me off either way. The Great Gatsby feels like a book that is written when the Great Depression was over. Was over. Yeah. Yeah. 40s. But it had not even happened yet. Those were not words. When he talks about the war, there was only one war. Yeah, there, there would not be another war. war for a while. I believe Old F. Scott sport. Fitzgerald didn't even live to see the next war. Really? I don't know anything about F. Scott Fitzgerald. I also haven't read anything else by F. Scott Fitzgerald, and I'm nervous too, because there's not going to be movies with Leonardo DiCaprio in them. No, that's true. But he, he did write some, some freaking books. Some, some bangers. Some bangers. Uh, yeah, died December 21st, 1940. So he when saw the World beginning of the war, but did not yeah. see America's uh, involvement in the war. He didn't see the bombs. He probably could have told you, though. Yeah, he wrote other books that I have heard of. Um, I think it's one of those things where if you see the name in the bookstore, you're like, well, this is probably a safe bet. Uh, 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 Tender is the Night is the one I was thinking of, and uh, This Side of Paradise. He also wrote the short story, uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which they did make a Brad yes. Pitt movie about. That's true. Uh, so I could I could be set. And it is a fairly it's decent- not pages. Fairly decent- I think it is, actually. Really? It's a novella, yeah. Oh. I think it is. I don't know. I read it on my iPod Touch back in the day. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. Because it was like, like it was like, a giveaway on iBooks. Yeah, in the, in the Nook app or the iBook app. Yeah, and I, did, all- I didn't have a tablet then. The iPad didn't exist so when when the uh mobile app reading race started i i put all of my chips into nook i thought that was going to be the wrong one. <laughs> wrong <laughs> it is kindle or bust <laughs> kindle or ipad no, no no i mean like even on my phone if i'm reading on my phone it's in the kindle app ew why because the kindle app is the best and it has the uh the font for for people who can't read but i can read the dyslexic font if you you are gonna read a hundred books this year, and then January first next year, we're gonna re- record some episode. You're gonna be like, I can't read. <laughs> well, to you be fair, most stop of them. You yourself are... from saying this, from like backing yourself into this corner. Like you are incapable of not backing yourself into this corner. It's true. Uh, no, but so the Kindle app has the different colors and it has the font, which I, the font is actually literally the worst thing in the world to look at. Uh, but I love it because it it really does help. What is it? I don't know about this. So there's this font in the Kindle app and I'll, I'll pull up what it's called. It's called open dyslexic. And basically it like weights every letter weird so that they're fatter at the bottom. 
And I don't know how it works in your brain, but it makes reading it so, so much easier. Interesting. Um, I find that, like, I don't think that I am diagnosably dyslexic, but if I haven't read a book, like, with my eyes in a few months, then just, like, the act itself is, it takes some, like, getting used to yeah. it Yeah. I think I need so glasses. It, it for that. Like, readers? Yeah. Heck yeah, readers the best. Yeah, I think I'm getting to that point. Um, I don't wear readers, but you look so good with readers. Like, I just, like, I don't know. I'm getting to the point where I feel like I have trouble focusing on certain things. Not mentally focusing, like, physically focusing. Uh-huh. I don't so I've never readers. seen an eye doctor in my life, so I need to go to an eye doctor. What if you go to the eye doctor and he's like, whoa, you have awful vision. How have you been how have you been living this whole time? <laughs> you can't drive. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely cannot drive, No, but pal. it's like I can see the leaves on trees and shit. <laughs> oh, I can't. Yeah, I can. I, even with my glasses on. Well, there's no leaves on those trees, but, like, they're still a little blurry. So I think I am becoming farsighted? Yeah, you can see far away. Yeah. I think I need to get some readers. I'm getting to that point in my life. You don't need to go to an eye doctor for that. You need to go to CVS. Yep. Or, actually, we've said this into the podcast, Instagram will give you readers in an hour. What do you mean? Like, re- you don't have to get a prescription for readers. Yeah. What's Instagram so, have to do with this? There's just be an ad. Oh, well, yeah, there's probably already one. For, like, all, like, very cool readers. Very cool readers. You, yeah, yeah, the problem is I have a huge head. It's hard to buy glasses that don't uh, hurt my head. I feel that. Yeah. I feel that big time. Um, it's like, I've tried to buy, I've tried to buy blue light glasses before, and I just feel like they give me a headache more than they help my headaches. Because again, I'm not Uh, used to wearing glasses and looking at screens, so that's definitely part of it. So, I read an article about the blue light thing. Apparently, it's just not real. Like, you can get blue light blocking glasses and they do block blue light, but like, there is no research to suggest that blue light is bad for your eyes or causes headaches in any way. Just looking at a screen, looking at any light is going to do that. I mean, sure, yeah, yeah, well... These screens, I'll tell you that much, they're going to be a problem eventually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We are going to have to figure that out. Yeah. Not as bad as these things, though. This is the worst thing we've ever done. I'm certain of it. Oh, the headphones? Yeah. Yeah. These probably not so bad, but like the earbuds. Oh, the earbuds, yeah. That, 100%. What, what were we thinking? 100%. Uh, but this is, you can't this use is a how Q-tip we get, to this, clean your ear, but, but, but you can put a plastic speaker in there. No, we can't talk about earbuds again because that's how we killed Rush Limbaugh. That's true. <laughs> Which uh, the, the the only the ten dollar patrons heard that conversation where we talked about <laughs> about losing our hearing from doing podcasts and 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 listening to Dragon Force at full volume when we were sixteen or fourteen right. uh, in our earbuds and then I mentioned I invoked the name of Rush Limbaugh and then he died in six hours. <laughs> so which is I'm trying not to laugh. That's I, I don't want anybody to die. Uh, I just want them to change their mind and repent. Yeah, so we uh, <laughs> we cut that conversation out because we did not take it from a nuanced perspective of the man died because he was <laughs> right. not dead at that point, but he was dead by the time the episode came out. <laughs> so now I understand what Justin McElroy is talking about, where he's like, Travis, you could not say the name of a celebrity on this podcast. We will kill them. <laughs> uh, um, so Donald Trump in the news again. Uh, <laughs> 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 anyway, I, uh-huh. I am not uh, dyslexic. I don't really have problems um, reading. I've never owned a Kindle. I have had I have books in my Kindle library, but I usually used uh, iBooks. Kindles are... I, I have a, a very early generation one with the e-ink. I very much like it. Um, yeah, I just never... But uh, I, like, I understand that. I just never cared enough to buy a different device. I already had an iPad. I, I like widgets. I, I just like, I like to have all the different kinds of things. If I see a tablet that's like 50 bucks, I'm like, oh, I want to know how on earth they made a tablet $50. And I find out immediately. Here's my thing. I have not read an ebook on purpose since I discovered audiobooks. I, so I definitely do the bulk of my reading via audio. Like, I think the uh, last time I read an audiobook or I, I read an ebook was when we did May term. 
What would you read? The Leftovers. I don't think uh, I finished it even. I have one in my Kindle library that I did for not a May term, but for school. Let's see if I can find it. But that was the last time I like purchased a fiction ebook and read it. Uh, God's Planet by Owen Gingrich. Um, very good. Very good. It's not. It's not about what you think. But it, it, these days, it sounds like sci-fi. No, it's 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 a philosophy book. Oh, then it is what I would think. But it's not. It's not about. It's not about what you think. Okay, I don't, know. I don't I'd care. have to reread it. I, I remember reading it and being like, oh, this isn't what I expected. I have no desire. I have less desire to read philosophy books than I do to read white people's memoirs. Memoirs? Memoirs. <laughs> the white people memoirs, you hear? The white, I have I have less desire to read philosophy books than I do to read the memoirs of famous white people, which is a thing I also don't like. Memoirs or white people? Memoirs. Ah. Not a big, uh, I'm not a big nonfiction guy. No, you're not. Yeah, no, nope. a lot of people think I'm stupid for that. Uh, I don't think you're stupid. A lot of people just, look down on me for that. I mean, yeah, obviously, but <laughs> I mean, it's just not though. Like, I don't. What does Amy Poehler have to teach me about life? Uh, how to succeed in the 21st century? No, I don't think so. How, how to how to achieve Amy? Poehler's I don't think so because 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 the thing is. Um, I don't want anybody, and I, th I truly think this is where uh, my distaste for this show came from, but I don't want anybody from Saturday Night Live telling me how to be successful. Why is that? Because you were picked out of- Because you won the lottery. You were picked out of thousands of people to be uh, given the keys to the city by God, basically. Lauren Michael said, congratulations, here's your ticket forever. And I don't think that, I'm not saying that Amy Poehler didn't work for that. I'm saying that that is not realistic or valuable life advice, is to like go to Second City and then apply for Saturday Night Live and then make it on Saturday Night Live and then the world will be handed to you. Well, not everybody gets handed the world if they're on SNL. Uh, most Plenty of them. People do. I would, at this point, at this point, most of them. Well, yeah, because if you're on SNL, you now have 10 million Instagram followers and that's all you really need. Right. Same with, you know, The Bachelor and any reality Like TV. the fact that I know Colin Jost's name means Colin that- Colin Jost is hilarious. Means that, yeah, Saturday Night Live has succeeded in 100% in saturation of their cast. Colin Jost there, is yeah. the not Pete Davidson guy from Weekend Update. That's it. <laughs> Colin Joseph is good. Sure. Uh, he's the not Pete Davidson guy on Weekend Update, but I know his name. Like, that is all he is to me because I don't watch SNL. Uh, would you watch SNL? I don't even have YouTube TV anymore. So, no. Really? Yeah. I got rid of it. I guess if you're not watching cable, yeah. Why? I'll probably sign up again in... in, in uh, in the football months. Yeah. Until they sell me a streaming service where I can watch sports. That's all I really care about. Hulu has live sports. I will come through this TV or this, this <laughs> webcam and beat you. You just start handing me these like, Hulu's, Baker not, Mayfield. Hulu's not an app, it's a lifestyle. <laughs> I don't, because I don't know how to, I don't know how Hulu to work. Hulu has Cocoa Melon. I don't know how to work Hulu. You just open it. No, you don't because I will go in the Apple TV and it'll be like, hey, this, uh, I'll, I'll say like, hey, I want to watch, you know, what we do in the shadows or whatever, the movie. And it'll be like, yeah. ah, that's on Hulu. And I'll uh, and I'll click play on Hulu and it'll be like, ah, but not your Hulu, idiot. <laughs> you can pay for this part of Hulu. And that's the thing is like, they say Hulu has live sports. It's like, I can't get Hulu to play a movie. <laughs> you think I can get... Hulu to show me Baker and the Jets. I guess he's not on the Jets. Baker and the Browns. Yeah, like, like I don't know, I don't know what to sign up for there because because I just see these ads that are like Hulu has live sports and you go Hulu.com and it's like now streaming on Hulu Veep and I'm like okay cool I don't I care about live sports. <laughs> Veep and Coco Melon. That's all there. Is. I don't know what Coco Melon is. Oh, Coco Melon has more subscribers than PewDiePie. What is it? It is uh, like sing along songs for kids. Uh, like, that tells me nothing. <laughs> 
Coco Melon is the best. It is it, it, it is a trance for my uh for my sweet daughter. Fair. I, I am I am not an infant though. I'm interested in live sports. Uh, <laughs> Coco Melon has 106 million subscribers on YouTube. That's insane. That is crazy. Since I've never heard of it. It is amazing. Uh, I mean, it's actually the worst, but so it is better than something. Anyway, it's uh, not blippy. Yeah. Ugh. So I have no, um, I'm no, I bear no ill will for Amy Poehler. I don't care about her book. So don't read Amy Poehler's book. Like, what about like Matt McConaughey? He wasn't on SNL. No, but I don't, I don't. At, like I, I'm not looking for anything at all. You just you just in the void. No, I I just like I don't I don't know how to describe this. I've never like I'm trying to find the words here. I've I've just never sought what those books are selling. At least I've never wanna... sought it from a book. So you mean to tell me you never watched Graham Norton and been like, man, I would love to know more about elijah wood's life personal life how he came up i don't think elijah wood has a book yeah not really no see i have that all the time where i'll watch graham norton or, or one of these talk shows and i'll be like man liam neeson i wonder what his life i would rather what kind of stories could t- could he tell me i would rather read a manual biography than an autobiography i would rather read you know the kid who brought the ring the elijah wood story than i would my life with the ring by elijah wood if that makes sense yeah, I but I, but I do feel like I think my favorite thing you just finished one. My favorite thing is when actors or whomever writes a novel. Yes, that is that is completely different. Yeah. Like I love when any person who is not a writer primarily who has an established voice in the industry from doing something else writes a new interesting work of fiction yes i liked supermarket i like hank's books uh you read jesse eisenberg's book yeah it was fascinating jesse eisenberg i'm, I'm all about i'm that. a worried about, read, uh, i'm a little bit worried about jesse eisenberg after reading that book <laughs> he'll be all right um but like realistically i don't i don't i don't want the kid who brought the ring to mordor the elijah wood story or My Life with the Ring by Elijah Wood. I want ESPN 30 for 30 to tell me about Elijah Wood. <laughs> a young boy gets a gets a ring. What, and then what if I told the, you that one kid from nowhere could become one of the most overlooked actors from one of the most successful movies of all time? A lot of them are overlooked, man. Basically everybody except Orlando Bloom. <laughs> Sean Bean. Yeah. Well, and... Like Ian McKellen. Uh, Ian McKellen's Ian McKellen. not from no. Lord of the Rings. Ian McKellen. No, like Mortensen, Ian McKellen like, was a get for Lord of the Rings. Right. They were like, holy crap. He was doing them a favor and not the other way around. <laughs> right. Uh, so you got to remember, when he was Gandalf, he was already Magneto. No way. Yeah, I'm pretty sure X-Men came out in 2000. Yeah, I think you're right. But that's still like a no way. Yeah. People talking about him being Magneto in WandaVision. I don't see it. Confirmed 10 episodes, though. Really? Yeah, That's cool. two more episodes. I had a feeling they were going to do that. Because Kevin Feige said the last three were an hour long, which in TV is like 48 minutes, yeah. which in WandaVision is like 41 minutes. Yeah. And this week's was 41 minutes. Yeah, and last week's wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, What was I going to say? And again, not to, not to like, not to diss on people that read white people memoirs. Like, that's fine. If that's what you want to read, that's what you want to read. Stop getting weird with me when I say I don't, though. I think it's just always a jarring conversation when it's like, oh my gosh, I read this book. I think you'd love it. And the response is no. Like, no matter who you are, no matter what it is. I mean, sure. And, 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 and I might love it. It's just, I don't have any desire to start. I'm sure I'd love smoking cigarettes. 
I don't want to. <laughs> Holden Caulfield smokes like three cartons in 36 hours. But also, I don't think, I truly don't think that most people that read those books are going in and saying, I am curious about what Matthew McConaughey's life was like before he was in whatever Matthew McConaughey's first major role was. Oh, what was that movie? Oh, man. This is the one that like everybody watched in like in World Geography. If the teacher was out, you get to watch. This is about Matthew McConaughey in the desert. What? Sahara? It's like a, Sahara. I don't think yeah. that was Matthew McConaughey's breakthrough role. I do. I don't think he was doing Matthew McConaughey type roles until like Milk and Dallas Buyers Club. I mean, what, what movie was it where he said the same thing about like, well, my favorite thing about high school girls is I get older yeah. and they stay the same, they stay the same age. age. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Just so you know, Matt. That was... Man, you know he's a good actor when you have to go to a separate Wikipedia article for his filmography. <laughs> So his his known for is uh, Mud, Killer Joe, Magic Mike, and Dallas Buyers Club, which is surprising to me. I would have thought Interstellar would have been up there. He has been active since 1992. Yeah, he was in Days, uh, Dazed and Confused. Dazed and Confused, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. He was in some weird stuff. This is a story, actually. I'd love to read his memoir. I'd love to know how he got here. I, I see. Go I would love to. I would love to know how Matthew McConaughey got there, and maybe I will read his biography for that reason. But usually, people are pitching me the like, "Oh man, I read this book by Bill Hader, and I just learned so much about how to be a person." And I don't go to people's autobiographies looking for that. I just want to know how you go from being Vilmer in Texas Chainsaw Massacre in nineteen ninety three. 1994 to uh well obviously hank the cow dog i mean that's that's as good as it gets that's the joke i mean you you just do a bunch of of all right movies until they ask you to be in the lincoln lawyer yeah until they ask you to be in kubo and the two strings and interstellar and true detective right. and, and then the Wolf and, of wall street because all, all you gotta Dallas do all you gotta do is get somebody to hire you for one avant-garde role and then prove that you're worth it that's it and they'll yeah. keep hiring you for those roles and eventually you'll get an oscar right that's what that's look at gary oldman that's exactly what his story was he was in things like the fifth element like crazy sci-fi movies with bruce willis and then eventually and, and he was in harry potter and eventually he did enough stuff enough weird stuff in there that they were like hey do you want to be winston churchill and he was like absolutely i do and they gave him an oscar for it did he win the oscar yeah for darkest hour good job that was one of those ones that people are always like how does gary oldman well, not have an oscar that's the interesting thing about dicaprio is dicaprio was in avant guard movies from the jump right he was he was in what's eating gilbert yeah, great and he deserves like- <laughs> an oscar for best actor for that movie and he was like right. 14 <laughs> right so that's why it's crazy that dicaprio took so long because the that's, revenant that's all dicaprio's ever done <laughs> i know even even his gatsby i thought was fantastic when he blows up on on uh nick that's, I mean, that's acting. Like he's right never, there. he's never not the lead in like a big role. Like he only does big roles. He was great in Titanic. He was great in everything. Also, I really enjoyed The Great Gatsby. Uh, this is a fantastic movie. Yes. Let's yes. let's get some scoring in. Let's do some some wrap. All right. Let me uh go into the old the old cord. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna gather these garner gather stay on gather page. ye rosebuds while you may. Speaking of rosebud, I read I watched uh I watched the movie Mank by David Fincher about the guy who wrote Citizen Kane. It's a fantastic movie. I should watch Citizen Kane. You should watch Citizen Kane, and then you should watch Mank. Uh, Gary Oldman is is who who played Herman Mankiewicz, and he was fantastic. Oh, um, excellent movie. Sixty-seven and Metacritic. I'm sure it's terrible. Metacritic was fifty-five, better than Five. the critic score actually. Yeah, Metacritic weighs so much more. Like it's so hard to to raise it, but it's also hard to lower it. I don't know. It feels heavy to me. If that makes any sense. Discord kind of coming through for this movie. I'll tell you. I, I tell you our uh, Facebook group as well. Also, if you want your score to be a part of the big score here at Bacon and Eggs, all you have to do is it's totally free. You can join our Facebook group. And then every week before we record, we ask for scores. Uh, the Facebook group is a great place to interact, meet other listeners of Bacon and Eggs. It's a, 
like a super fun little thing that we do. I know Facebook is like for boomers, but there are people who literally have Facebook just for our Facebook group. Uh, so I, I, I would recommend it. It's a happy, fun place. And if you have a thing you want to promote every Sunday, we have a thread where you can like promote your podcast or your Instagram page or your Etsy or whatever it is. All right. I got a listener score. All right. What you got? I got an 80.1. So rounds down to an 80. 80.1. So that's 80. Yep. Uh, so a reminder, my score was an 80. Ethan's score was an 85. Rotten Tomato, 48. Metacritic, 55. And Rotten Tomato audience score, 67. With the 80, that brings the bacon and egg score to a 74.55, which rounds up to a 75 overall with a low, low tiebreaker. That does put it at the bottom. Not all the way at the bottom. It uh, edges out willow happiest season and the santa claus dang uh, but it <laughs> loses to the chronicles of narnia the line the witch dang ah as we'll say i think this is the first movie that we haven't gotten a hundred for in the listener scores really yeah usually somebody's like oh favorite movie of all time 100 out of 100 no one yeah. said that about this movie uh great gaspy i'm sorry what did i just say 74 oh, no, 75 74 Point six. Dang. Okay. So that brings a bottom of our uh, Santa Claus lost to Happiest Season, lost to Willow, lost to The Great Gatsby, lost to The Chronicles of Narnia, lost to The Princess Diaries, lost to Cinderella, 1997, which is the last one I was. Uh, recapping last week, Isle of Dogs comes in at number nine overall with an 84.45, uh, losing out to War Games and beating Ratatouille. Wild. It's insane how insane the list is, even though we're being like methodical about it. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's telling, you and I do carry half the weight. Sure, So if we yeah. really like something, like Gatsby, we pulled all the way up to where it is yeah, barely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. It would have been the worst movie we've reviewed. Yeah. For sure. If we had been like, yeah, this is, this is also a 50. I agree. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you, <laughs> Metacritic. Thank you, Rotten Tomatoes, for feeling how I feel. Um, yeah, it would have lost to the Santa Claus. I mean, handily. Uh, yeah. Which is so surprising. I really loved this movie. I know we didn't talk about it much. We talked more about the book in this episode. Uh, so if you haven't read the book, it is public domain. So you can read it for free on an e-reader or you can buy a super cheap, fancy copy of it like this one, which I think was $8. Uh, or you it's can- It's free with your Audible subscription. You're free with the Audible subscription. Uh, so there's lots of ways to read it if you haven't read it. And if you want to watch it, uh, <laughs> it was on Hulu for three ninety nine dollars uh, for rental. You rented it on Hulu? I think so. Interesting. I bought it on yeah, iTunes. you like, I'm going to revisit this. Well, I, I just like, I almost- had like a premonition that there was some reason that we weren't going to be able to record that night. Yeah, so, so I did actually have to rent it twice. So I, like, I went to I went to rent it, and I was like, you know what? I'll watch this movie three times. It's fine. And I just bought it. And it was a good choice. Yeah. Um, moving forward, our review times are going to be interesting because we're going to do everything we can to get ahead for uh, when I'm not here. Yeah, Tyler's got so. a baby coming got a baby coming i also learned, we're doing I posted also we're doing video now which also we're doing video does take me longer <laughs> uh yeah it is much harder to, to sit down at, at 10 p.m on a wednesday and go yep done <laughs> and print it there we go uh so i think we're gonna we may get a little further ahead than uh pop culture would 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 desire uh but that means i get to be on more episodes so that's good also i think we're gonna cover the first season of wandavision as an episode wandavision we're also covering high school musical one and two coming up yeah so if you haven't seen those be sure to uh watch be sure to watch Anyway, yeah. uh, this is Bacon and Eggs, our graphics are by Vaishan Brand and Graphite.vmb on Instagram, and our music is by Andrew Scott Bell, AndrewScottBellMusic.com. Um, Bacon and Eggs is a production of the WB&E Podcast Network. For more great podcasts like this one, Hello From Elsewhere, go to WB&E.org. Here's a promo for Hello From Elsewhere. 
Do you find yourself thinking deeply about pop culture? Do you wish for a super nerdy podcast that explores your favorite movies and books? Well, look no further. From WBNE, it's Hello from Elsewhere. On our podcast, we promise to literally transport you to all your favorite fictional settings. I don't think we can actually promise that. Yes, we can. Travel with us to the Death Star. We can't put people in harm's way like that. Or visit beautiful new Asgard. That's so many plane tickets to Norway. Explore the eras of Jane Austen or Frankenstein. Metaphorically, we don't know how to implement time travel. We do now on Hello From Elsewhere. We're going to get in trouble with these promises. With new episodes every other Friday, Hello From Elsewhere is available wherever you find your podcasts. Yes, that part is true. You can even listen on the Hogwarts Express. Oh boy. Additionally, there is brand new Bacon and Eggs merch. So if you want to show off your love for Bacon and Eggs or for the WBNE Network, there's a link to our new Tee Public store in the description. The prices, I think, are super attractive and totally worth it. Uh, I've gotten a few shirts myself. I love them. Uh, so if you want new Bacon and Eggs merch, you can do that. Yeah, I've been Ethan Etchell. He's been Tyler Carlin. Until next time, Arrivederci. Angry and half in love with her and tremendously sorry, I turned away. Goodbye, video. Thank you for joining us here on Bacon and Eggs. This has been a WBNE production. For more great shows, visit WBNE.org.